Hey, help me welcome really quick everybody tuning in online. We're so glad that you are with us today, wherever you're at. And uh, if you can't tell, next week's going to be really, really special. You do not want to miss next week for a lot of reasons. And just trust me on that. You don't want to miss it. But if uh, you're brand new, I'd love to meet you after the experience. I'm Russ. I'm not the lead pastor here, but I'll be sharing today. And I'm just so glad that, that you're with us. This is the kind of place where you can come wherever background you're from and feel welcome right away. And if you are new, you are stepping into the middle of a series called Kings and Queens. Anybody like me been loving this series? 9.30. Anybody, raise your hand. You need your second cup of coffee. It's not possible, but maybe guest experience will take care of it. But we are in the middle of a Kings and Queens series, and really we're just standing on the shoulders of a lot of leaders throughout the Old Testament, most of which were not that good. And if you're anything like me, I want to learn from their lives so I can create a different momentum for my future. I want to create a kind of future and a kind of life that I can look forward to and that's going to be beautiful and that's going to be full of joy and purpose. How about you? Seven, seven of you. Um, and so what we've been doing is we've been looking at different kings and queens uh, of the Old Testament. But I, I have a question for you before we get started. Anybody like me hate feeling trapped? And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of that. Like maybe you got your like foot stuck in a chair one time in a really awkward moment and that was bad. And you think about, I see a lot of people nodding. That's odd how many people were just nodding that that's happened to. Uh, we, I don't know, maybe you feel, anybody just hate feeling trapped in a conversation? Oh, way too much response there. Um, we had, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna say who, but we one time had a staff member get trapped in the elevator. It was just a few months ago. I won't say who, but it was, it was really funny. Um, it was really funny. I, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, I have a friend, true story, that lives in Kentucky that one time, just like the Christmas movie, I think it's called The Christmas Story, uh, in, in winter got her tongue stuck to a pole, trapped there for six hours, not lying. She still has her tongue, but she, she made it out. My least favorite trap, and, and don't judge me for this, is, uh, can I just say it, speed traps. <laughs> Anybody? The year was 2020. I... Uh, I, I was uh, pulling out of my apartment, and I, I live just five minutes down the road, so I'm usually turning left on gender. Uh, but on Fridays, there's a chiropractor in Reynoldsburg I go to, and so I was turning right. And any, anybody knows, some of you, are, the moment I say this, you're going to know. You, Bryce Road? Uh, okay. I can tell the way you said it. So there is a place, if you're not familiar with Bryce Road, where uh, I think it's gender turns to Bryce Road, it goes from 50 mile an hour speed limit to 25 miles, uh, 25 miles an hour for no reason known to mankind or I think even God. And it just, just like that. And so I'm driving down one day, and, and, and as I tell this story, please, please give me grace. I all honor and respect for law enforcement. I have law enforcement friends. They're amazing. Uh, honor them. This day was interesting, though. Uh, I, I got pulled over. And, um, and I got pulled over to the side of the road, and it, it felt like something out of a movie. R really tall man, flat bill hat, mustache, and he came to my car like I had just murdered his dog. <laughs> and I, 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 I rolled down the window, and, and he said, sir, do you realize how fast you were going? I said, I, well, my GPS says we're in a 50-mile-an-hour you know, speed limit. He said, absolutely not. You don't go by GPS. You go by speed limit signs. And I actually have the most speed limit signs in this jurisdiction than any other place in all of Ohio. And, 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 and he spent the next 10 minutes pouring down scorn on my worthless soul. And if the goal was to put the, and, and, and then he's, he asked those questions that, you know, like you see in movies, he's like, he goes, honestly, I should uh, impound your car. And then he asked that question, he goes, what would you do if you were in my shoes? 
And I want to say, I show mercy. I, you know, I, I, and I, I just, I mean, I ate humble pie. I said, officer, I am so sorry. It will never happen again. And I'm telling you, I, I literally, I don't think I'm a fearful person. I drove away trembling, trembling. Because when pain hits you that hard, I mean, and I guess the good thing is that's when you learn, right? Like I knew from that point forward, whenever I turned right, I would never, ever go 50 miles an hour in that zone again. And then six months later. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I get pulled over. Don't judge me, bunch of Pharisees. I get pulled over in the exact same spot for the exact same speed. And I had one prayer, dear Jesus, God in heaven, you ever just have like one prayer? Do not let it be that same man who walks out. Prayer unanswered. I saw my life flash before me. The image of mustache and flat bill hat assaulted my soul and... (laughs) And I'll spare you the violence of words that followed from him, um, but I, it cost me. It, it, I mean, I, I paid, I, I think I paid a mortgage uh, for that ticket. Um, I hate traps. And there's, and what, what, in, a, in a speed trap, I mean, they're, they're good. I, I know a lot of them serve their purpose, not that one, but a lot of them serve their purpose. But, <laughs> but the thing about speed traps is they're subtle and you don't see them coming. And there's a trap because what we've been talking about is we are all, in a way, kings and queens of our lives. That we make decisions that affect those around us and affect our future. And there's a trap in each of our lives that's so sneaky, I don't think we see it most times. And, and so I want to look at a king named Saul. And, and if you're somewhat new to church, or maybe you're somewhat familiar with church, you, you might be confused because there's a lot of names in the Bible you see a few times. There's two Sauls in the Bible. One of the Saul's is in the New Testament. That's the one that persecuted the church, killed Christians. God turned his life upside down. Saul became Paul. This is the Saul of the Old Testament. And a couple interesting facts. Number one, uh, Saul was actually the first king that Israel ever had. He was the son of a man named Kish from the clan of Benjamin. He was the first king that Israel ever had. And fun fact, I don't know if it's a fun fact, but an interesting fact, did you know it was actually never God's original desire for Israel to have a king? He brought them out of, they brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They went through the wilderness. He brought them into the promised land. They possessed this land, this promise. And then they went through a stage where they had judges. Probably some of you uh, remember Gideon and Barak and Deborah had judges, but God said, I want to be the immediate king over your life. You don't need kings. The children of Israel complained. They said, but all the other king, you know, nations of the world, they have kings. We want a king. Give us a king. Finally, God said, okay, I'll give you a king. And in comes this guy named Saul. So his father one day lost his car, pretty much, like lost a bunch of donkeys, and said to Saul, his son, I want you to go look for the donkeys. And long story short, Saul runs into this prophet named Samuel. Samuel was the prophet of Israel over that time. And when Samuel ran in to Saul, God spoke to Samuel and said, this is the man I've been telling you about. This is to be the king of Israel. And the moment Samuel talked to Saul, he said, look, you're gonna get your donkeys back and you are gonna be king. And there's this epic movie moment where he basically says this. He says, has not the desire of all Israel turned towards you? So I want you to picture it. 
The whole kingdom of Israel, the first king, is Saul, and it's about to be turned towards him. But I want you to look at the response of Saul when he's told he's going to be king. This is 1 Samuel 9, verse 21. And we're going to go through a lot of Saul's life. Are you ready? Hey, I, I, fair warning. This is probably the most scripture you ever hear in a message. And the crowd goes, deafening quiet. Turn to the person beside you say, you look spiritual enough. You can handle it. So 1 Samuel 9, 21 says this, Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? So uh, first glance, this, I mean, this almost sounds like humility, right? Like, why would you say this to me? Who am I? David said something similar. He said, God, who am I that you would think of me? Really, if all of us are really aware of who we are and how great God is, shouldn't that really be all of our response? Anybody else? Like, God, who am I? Like, God, would you, why would you show such grace and such mercy to somebody like me? But, you know, sometimes not everything that looks like humility is humility. And so even though that was the response in his first words as king, his first action as king maybe shows us something different. And so I want you to picture the setting. Uh, the, the day has come for the first king of Israel to be announced. Samuel, the prophet, literally gathers the whole country, the whole nation of Israel, and then they blow, I don't know, blow the ram's horn, dun da 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 Introducing, drum roll, everybody, the very first king of Israel. I'm going into Michael Buffer. Welcome, Saul. And Saul was nowhere to be found. And, and, and we read actually what happened. It says this. It says, 1 Samuel 10, 20. I'm going to skip down uh, to verse 21. It says, then he brought forth the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? So basically, they're like, we don't even know where he is. Let's ask God. <laughs> you ever, like, have somebody stand you up? You're like, I'll just ask God where they are. And, you know, look at God's response. And the, they said, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. His very first act as king, instead of leading, he was hiding. It'd be like, you know, a few years ago, I moved here from Atlanta, and they announced me when I was going to be campus pastor uh, at one of our locations. It'd be like, Pastor said, and now uh, Pastor Russ has come here to lead, and uh, I was, hey, he is actually hiding in the storage closet. He, uh, he is actually out there hiding. And Saul was not six or eight like some of these kings. Saul was 30 years old, so he is a 30-year-old man hiding in the storage closet. And what we see here is something that I think can sneak into all of our stories. In fact, I think it's in all of our stories. We see here this glimpse that Saul, even though he's king, is a man whose heart is filled with insecurity. Filled with insecurity. Let me ask you a personal question. What are you insecure about? And maybe don't say it out loud because you probably don't want to say out loud what you're insecure about because you're probably insecure about it, but... I, I feel like I have a lot to be insecure about. I, I remember my first time I felt insecure was in the third grade. Um, this girl came up to me in class and said, I'm going to start calling you the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It was like therapy right here. I was like, I was like, why? <laughs> I mean, 
Because I'd always been told, like, I was such a sweet boy. I had a kind heart. I was loving towards others. Like, why would you, what in me is wicked? Why would you call me the wicked witch of the West? And here's what she said. She goes, oh, no, no, not because of your personality. She said, you see, when you look at your face from the right side, your nose is pointy. And so I'm going to call you, the, why are you laughing? You're just a bully, just like her. So, so you the wicked witch of the West. Now, it's kind of, I guess in your opinion, funny, but you know what's crazy? And this is, I like, uh, please don't pray for me. I, I, I have found healing. But you know what's crazy? That word traveled with me through middle school, through high school, to college. And you know, even to this day, I know this, this sounds so crazy, and I promise I'm mostly over it. But even now out of, I promise I'm fine. But even now out of habit, like if, if I'm at the movies, like if I'm on a date with a girl, I will always sit on the right side so that I put my best side forward. I know. They're like, wait, why, why are you so adamant about sitting on that side? Because like, the ex is over there. I need to protect you. You know, somebody comes in. But what she doesn't really know is I feel like that's my best side, and I don't want because no one's attracted to the wicked witch of the West. Thank you. But isn't it crazy how insecurity can travel with you? Isn't that crazy? Insecurity traveled with them. And it really begs the question of, is insecure, because here's, here's really the question. I mean, because at the end of the day, insecurity doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It almost feels close to humility. Like, is insecurity that big of a deal? And so I want to skip forward a little bit, and I, I want to go forward to a, a moment where we really begin to see the insecurity rise in Saul's life. And long story short, uh, this is decades later, and uh, Saul is transitioning the kingdom to a guy named David. Maybe you've heard of him. We talked about him in week number one. He was the man after God's own heart. He was the shepherd boy who killed the lion, killed the bear. And then all of a sudden he brings brought forth and he, you know, kills the Goliath with a sling and a stone. He's the second king of Israel after Saul. Saul is transitioning the kingdom to David. David has just killed Goliath. Saul is so impressed by David that he brings him into the kingdom. And uh, Saul's son, D Jonathan, and David, they become besties. It's this whole thing. And so basically David, his reputation is gaining and gaining and gaining. And I want to go to 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. It says this, whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, talking about Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing. And Saul, so I'll just picture this. This is like they're coming home. The Braves have won the championship. Doesn't go well in Ohio. The, uh, Ohio State Buckeyes have done it. I don't know. So <laughs> they're coming into town. All the women are crowding the streets. And they've created a song for Saul. So I want you to modernize this for a minute. Saul's in his BMW. The top's off. It's summer. His girlfriend's beside him. And a song, he goes, oh, babe, this is actually, I don't, I'm not a humble brag, but this is the song they actually wrote about me. You want to turn it, you want to hear it? You know, you hear it? Yeah, so, so he turns it up. He's like, babe, you got to check out the song they wrote about me. And I, I want you to look at the first line. It says this. Saul has slain. Where, where, where are we going? As they dance, they sang the first line. Saul, no, it's not it. Okay. I'll just sing it to you. You okay if I just sing it to you? Saul has slain. <laughs> Should, should I be insecure about my singing? I know, I know who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul has slain his thousands. He's like, babe, you hear this? You hear this? They're singing about me. They're singing about me right here. This is me they're talking about. It's not anybody else. There's a lot of Saul's around, but this is about me, baby. Saul has slain his thousands. He's like, turn up here and the rest of it. Now here's the, but, but then check out the next line. And David is tense. 
of thousands. What the? Hey, you're not, we're not listening to music anymore. Turn this off. <laughs> and look at the next line, what it says. It says, and David is tens of thousands, and Saul was very angry. Yeah, I bet he was. This refrain displeased him greatly. I love how politically correct it was. He was ticked. They have credited David with tens of thousands, but only me with thousands. You, you ever felt gifted until you get around somebody more gifted? <laughs> you ever enjoy time at the office until somebody came in the office that was better than you, and you hate them? <laughs> and you won't admit it. I mean, you love them in the Lord, but if they tripped and fell on a bed of staples tomorrow, you would not be mad. Because Saul's killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. I have a thousand followers on Instagram, they have ten thousand followers on Instagram. The, the boss gave me five compliments, but they didn't even look at me today. This guy sold a, a thousand copies of a book about the desert, but this guy wrote a book about terrifying faith that sells tens of thousands. <laughs> I'm assuming. I mean, I mean, what do you do with that? Because here's the thing. It's one thing to have insecurities. It's nothing when insecurity begins to have you. It begins to torture you. In fact, the very next line of this, you know what it says? We don't have it for the screen. But it says that an evil spirit came over Saul. And he actually had to bring David in to play the harp so that he could even relax. You ever felt tormented by insecurity? You ever been so tormented by insecurity you began to experience its offspring jealousy? Because the insecurity grows in the land of comparison. And he begins to be tortured by insecurity. But you know, you, know, you know the craziest thing about it, though, is? The very first line of 1 Samuel 9, you know, what, you know how it describes Saul? And I quote, Saul was as handsome a young man in Israel as could be found and a foot taller than anybody else. I would love to have that problem. Before he was even anointed king, he won Sexiest Man Alive on People magazine. So the guy that we're reading about is, according to scripture, the hottest guy around, the tallest guy around, now he's the richest guy around, now he's the most powerful guy around, and he's the most anointed, graced, and gifted by God guy around, and he is also the most insecure guy around. And I think this is important to know because if you're anything like me, sometimes I'm tempted to think, man, when I get there, I'll feel good about me. Anybody? Hello. Anybody thought when I achieve that, that's when I'll feel comfortable in my own skin. Man, if I can just lose this amount of weight and get there, that's when I, if I could ever get that promotion, if this relational status could ever, then I'll feel okay about me. But what I've got to realize is insecurity is not an external circumstance. It's an internal condition. And I can spend the rest of my life trying to get people to clap for me, but there is no external scratch that will ever fix my internal itch. Because it's a value thing. And so what do we do? We, we, we post things on social media or do things and kind of like Adam and Eve, fig, we, we sow our own version of fig leaves to cover the nakedness of how empty we feel. That maybe I'm just not worth a whole lot. Maybe I just don't have what it takes. Now, I, I, I want to I, I wanna look at a couple things real quick, just to, because, man, because if you're anything like me, sometimes I wonder, okay, where does insecurity come from? And I actually want to look at 
another translation of what we read when it says Saul was hiding in the luggage. I want to look at this other translation. It says this. It says, when Saul was hiding among the baggage. 1 Samuel 10, 21. Look at that. I love I love that translation better. Not just hiding among the luggage, hiding among the baggage. Because if you're anything like me, I think this gives a clearer picture of Saul because this gives a clearer picture of us. That insecurity is always connected to something. And so what baggage was creating the insecurity for Saul? Maybe, as you know, we, we read in 1 Samuel 9 that his father was a man of standing. Maybe Saul spent his whole life thinking, no matter how much success I build up, I'll never be able to measure up to my dad. Maybe for Saul it was... Uh, Shame. You ever notice that shame from your past can create insecurity to step forth boldness in the future? I know I have. Anybody else? Like, man, I, I hear what you're saying about God wanting to use my life in amazing ways, but every time I start to, my mind keeps replaying the memory of what happened back there. So who am I that God, you could still use my life in a great way? Maybe there was a wicked witch of the West moment. And somebody spoke something so destructive over Saul's soul that it forever tainted the way he saw himself and the way he saw God and the way he saw life. And no matter how many messages or podcasts he heard, he could never drown out the noise of his own soul that lied to him about who he was and who he wasn't. The only thing we know about Saul's baggage is that he never addressed it. Is that he never got honest. He never saw a professional, he never listened to the annoying guy at the end of every hosting moment that begged him to go to next steps and get a counselor list. <laughs> he never addressed it, and it got really bad. And, and you skip forward to 1 Samuel 13, you see a moment, and, and we're not gonna read it all, but just to recap, basically, it's the very first moment that the insecurity in Saul exploded. And he was rash and impulsive, and the prophet Samuel basically rebuked him and when he rebuked him, I mean, it, 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 was, it, was, it was pretty bad. And I'm not going to read all of it. And the, the context you can read later, but what's really important, even more than the context, is, is Saul's response when Samuel asked him why he did what he did. I want you to check this out. It says this. Um, this is uh, 1 Samuel 13. Sa Saul confronts him and says, how foolish and Saul replies this, he says, I saw, this is why he did what he did, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. Kind of throwing shade a little bit at, at, at a, a little passive aggressive towards Saul. It says, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle, so I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the, are you seeing what he's, you see what he's doing here? He's saying, look, look the reason I did this is because the men were scattering. I didn't know how people felt about me because another fruit of insecurity is people pleasing and the fear of man. So the people around me were, were talking and I didn't know what they were saying and I was kind of worried about them. And then just to be honest, I mean, no offense, Samuel, but you didn't show up for me the way I thought you would. I needed you in that moment and you weren't there for me the way I thought you would be. And then I saw that my enemies were against me. People were talking bad about me. And on top of that, I realized it's been a few minutes since I've actually had a devotional with Jesus and I kind of feel on shaky ground with them and we get a clear picture. And No, I don't need anything. We get a clear picture of a king, Saul, who's losing his kingship. His kingship is collapsing because Saul is collapsing under the weight of his own insecurity. Because insecurity is a trap. And insecurity might be a bigger deal than we think it is. And then we fast forward from 1 Samuel 13 of 
Saul's rebuke to 1 Samuel 15. I know this gets depressing for a while, but just hold on. 1 Samuel 15, we see not just Saul's rebuke, but Saul's removal. And long story short, God speaks to the prophet and tells Saul to wipe out this whole area where the Amalekites were. And there's a lot of context you need for that. Amalekites for 500 years were a group of people that lived in absolute wickedness, child sacrifice, the most atrocious things ever. And God was gonna use Saul and the Israelites to execute justice. And Saul obeyed kind of. And basically, God sent Samuel to confront Saul and say, look, you... uh, First off, this is a whole nother talk for another time. I want you to know that in my eyes, uh, partial obedience is disobedience, number one. Number two, obedience to me is better than sacrifice. And number three, you've rejected the word of the Lord. And there's this really terrifying moment where the king, King Saul, great king, tall, anointed, rich, handsome, gifted, falls on his knees and says, no, please, another chance, grabs the robe of Samuel, the robe tears, and Samuel says, this is just a chilling movie moment, says, in the same way that my robe just torn, God is tearing the kingdom from you today and is gonna replace it with somebody who has a man after my own heart, a.k.a. David. So insecurity is a big deal. But I wanna point out something interesting from this last text. I wanna point out a verse at the top of this chapter and then, are, are you following me? I know we're going a lot of places, but we're gonna look at a verse at the top of the chapter and then an interesting verse at the bottom of the chapter. And, and here's, the interest, here's the really interesting verse. 1 Samuel 15, 12 says this. This is as Samuel is getting word of what Saul's doing in disobedience. It says this. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but was told Saul has gone to Carmel and has set up a monument in his own honor. This would be like me walking into the office tomorrow morning and saying, hey, I'm gonna paint a big mural of my face right across the walls. And this is the height of pride. But then I want you to look at a verse at the bottom of the chapter once he's confronted. 1 Samuel 15, 24 says this, I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin. So we see at the top of the chapter that he is, building a monument to himself, then we see at the bottom of the chapter that he is so crippled by the fear of man that he just panicked and gave in. And I wanna put these two verses side by side. I want you to look at them. He built a monument to himself and he was afraid of the men. And then I want you to see the two words that stand out to me. I wanna go to the next slide. The first one shows us the height of pride and the second one shows us the depths of insecurity. And so if you're anything like me, I wonder, okay, which was it? Was it pride or was it insecurity? Because to me, insecurity almost feels a little bit like humility. To me, the opposite of pride almost seems like it would be insecurity, but there's another insight we need to catch here. Pride is not the opposite of insecurity. Insecurity and pride are actually inextricably linked. Pride and insecurity are connected. And, And here's how. If you take the roots of pride and the roots of insecurity, and you bring them down, they merge somewhere. And the place they merge is the place called self. That the problem with pride and the problem with insecurity and the source of pride and the source of insecurity is it is a preoccupation with self. It is a preoccupation with me. Pride and self are linked. They always go hand in hand. They always travel together. Say it with me, they are two sides of the same coin. Can we say that together? They are two sides of the same 
coin. I'm, I'm hammering home the point because I think it's, whenever I'm stuck in my head and crazy and secure, I can know that pride is not far behind. And whenever I'm full of pride and I'm full of arrogance, I can know insecurity is good. They always travel together. They are two sides of the same coin. They may look different, but the substance is the same. The substance is self. In fact, you can't really do a whole like expose on the leaders of the Old Testament without looking at the contrast of the one that replaced Saul, and that's David. In fact, if we had time, we could look at even just their response to their failures and how different it was. You know, you know what's crazy is on paper, so David's called a man after God's own heart, but you know on paper, his mistakes were far worse. We're talking about the guy that committed adultery, murder. Saul just was compulsive. Saul just was insecure. But you know what's crazy when they were confronted by their sins? You know what Saul said when Samuel first rebuked him and confronted him in his life? Here's what he said. He said, I know, I did that, I'm sorry, but now, check this out, but now please honor me in front of the people. You know what David said when confronted by sin? He said, God, he weeps and says, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Now please create in me a clean heart and whatever you do, don't take your presence from me. Even in Saul's darkest hour, his focus was on self. I just, I can't get over it. When David was confronted by sin, he couldn't get over the fact he was so grieved that he had broken God's heart. Saul was just tortured that he has broken his ego. because the attention was on self. And so what do we do? Because I know that we're encouraged now about Saul's kingship. What do we do? How do we destroy insecurity in our own life? Three actions stand out to me when I look at Saul and then when I look at David comparatively. Number one is this, embrace a new identity. Embrace a new identity. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, how I walk out insecurity, because here's, if you, if you wanna know the nuts and bolts of what I, I believe God's heart is for us today, God wants to give somebody their confidence back. God wants to give somebody their confidence back. But I will never do that if I see myself through my eyes instead of God's eyes. Maybe the best thing some of us can do this rest of June is to get under Ephesians 1 and memorize all the words of what it says about me, that in Christ I am holy. Are you kidding? I, you don't know me. I'm not holy. But in Jesus, my definition, my identity is I am holy. Ephesians says I'm not just holy, but I'm chosen. Nobody else has chosen me, Wicked Witch of the West. But God's chosen me. I am chosen, holy, royal. I need to have my mind rewired of all the voices that have been speaking into me my whole life, and I need to get under the camp of what God says about me. In fact, one more verse about Saul. Look at what Samuel says to Saul when he calls him out, 1 Samuel 15, 17. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you. Can you check this out. He says, here's, here's the problem, Saul. You are small in your own eyes. Now, again, if you're anything like me, at first that almost sounds like humility. Because we don't want to be proud. 
We don't want to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but I want you to catch a difference. I, I actually don't think humility is the opposite of pride. I think humble confidence is the opposite of pride. C.S. Lewis said humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. See, God doesn't want you to be full of arrogance, but he does want you to be full of humble confidence. And because Saul was small in his own eyes, shrunken, he actually, that actually caused him to abdicate his duties and to settle for a smaller, insecure, crippled life instead of rising up into his God-given mandate and mission and assignment over his life because he was small in his own eyes. That, that, that phrase may even feel familiar to you because when God called spies of the first generation of the children of Israel to go look at the promised land, you know what they said? They said it's true. It was, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but we saw the giants and we were small in our own eyes. Instead of seeing themselves through God's eyes, they were small in their own eyes. What am I saying? I'm saying there's a difference between pride and confidence. Pride is confidence in me. Confidence is confidence in the God inside of me. Do you see the difference? True, humble confidence is I know I'm not enough, but if God is for me, who can be against me? I know that I'm weak and flawed and sinful and messed up, but greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And if God is with me, if the Lord is with me, hey, I know what's coming against me may be bad, and I don't have anything in me that would cause me to have pride, but I got something really big in me that causes me to have a whole lot of confidence. And so we need to rally around a new identity for the really practical people. We need to destroy comparison. If you, if you want a couple practical notes, here it is. Do the opposite of what your flesh wants to do. When you feel that little twinge of jealousy, you know what you can do? There's a, there's a weapon. Celebrate. Send the person that you don't want to celebrate the most, celebrate them the biggest. Send them a text, do a social media post about them, brag about them. I'm telling you, it may not mean anything to them, but it will liberate your heart. The people that you think, man, they got an unfair advantage, pray even harder. God, pour out your blessing on them. God, I pray that you would touch them, heal them, because it is worth having a free heart over that. And then three, and here's where I really want to land. You know the big difference between David and Saul? You know what will really crush insecurity in your life? See, there's a verse in the book of Acts thousands of years after David had passed away that said this. It said, David served his generation. David served, what are you saying? I'm saying whenever I look at Saul's life and every frame of his life, I never see Saul operating from an, a sense of calling. I see Saul going from moment to moment Focused on himself, do I have what it takes? Please clap for me. Please, would, do you approve of me? What are the men thinking? What is God thinking? I'm so, but I see David as messed up and jacked up as he was, saying, look, I know I don't have it all together. I know I've messed up. I know that at times I've blown it and been sinful, but I know this, I know I am called by God. I know God has anointed me, and if God has called me for this, it does not matter how big the giants, how big the bears, it doesn't even matter how big my mess ups are, I know I'm going to get back up because if God has my back, if God is for me, if God is with me, are you kidding me? 
So you want to know where your confidence comes from, true confidence? True confidence comes from calling. True confidence comes from reminding yourself, I'm called to this. Say that out loud. Say, I'm called to this. Say it like you mean, I'm called to this. So some of you parents need to get sassy about it. I heard a preacher one time say this. They said, I don't mean this to be mean, but they said, I'm so thankful for all the encouragement, all the compliments. He said, but I've tried to get to the place where I'm too called to need your compliments. Some of you parents need to say, I am too called to need the extra mom on Instagram who's doing yoga five hours a day and feeding their kids granola to tell me that I'm doing a good job. I am called to raise this child. God has called you to raise up that family. God has called you to parent. You may be at a job you hate, but guess what? Right now, God has called you to be there, to be salt and light in that atmosphere. Some of you, you need to write over your life a brand new mandate, a brand new calling. A, a, a couple weeks ago, I was meeting with somebody, and they said they didn't mind if I said who it was, and maybe I will, I don't know. They said, I, God has brought me through so much healing of my past, but right now I feel really insecure that I have what it takes to move into the future I see everybody moving into. And I immediately got that image of the children of Israel standing in front of their promised land. And I thought, what a tragedy to have a beautiful promised land before you. Promises of God, blessing, favor, destiny, future. But to be so small in your own eyes, you never step into it. But today somebody, you need to get your confidence back. And it doesn't come from a fleshly pride. It comes from an internal, humble confidence that God has called me. And if God's called me, he's going to equip me, he's going to anoint me, and he's going to see me through. Okay. Seven of you are getting this. But today could change your entire life if you decide to trade the coin for a calling. The coin of self, of ego, of needing other people to validate you and affirm you, the, the self of insecurity, and you trade that coin for a calling and say, you know what, today, line in the sand, day, I am no longer walking into rooms itching for people's approval, wondering, wait, did they look at me weird? Are they saying something about me? I think I saw them whispering, so I think they're saying something about me. They probably are, and they haven't complimented me in nine days, and I bet really, you know, I wasn't invited to that thing over the weekend. No, I'm no longer going into a rooms itching for their approval. I am going into rooms dripping with God's approval and therefore secure and confident and eager and ready to serve those in the room because I don't need anything from those in the room. Because when you start living from assignment, you stop living from affirmation. I thank God for affirmation. I thank God for it. I, I, I won't say I don't love it. Some of you are gonna think I'm bragging. But I got told this twice this week. I had two different people tell me. They said, Russ, you're the funniest person I know. <laughs> they may have been lying. Or they may have meant it as an insult. I don't care. I went down and I journaled it. So that every time you don't laugh at my jokes, I can go to my journal. <laughs> but you know what? There's something better than living off compliments, and it's living off calling. It's living from a place of, God, I know what you've called me to be and to do. Would you stand to your feet? Today, you know, wounds, your spirit may be wounded, or insecurity, 
in you has grown and grown unchecked. And today you need to trade a coin for a calling. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, without any hesitation, would you just lift your hands to heaven? I know I need to receive a fresh calling today. Come on, any hes- without any hesitation, hands in the presence of God. God, I need to receive a fresh calling. I need a reminder, God, that you are with me. I need a reminder that I am not defined by others' voices. I'm defined by your voices. Hands high, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray every inferiority complex in the room be shattered. I silence in the name of Jesus every lie that's ever been spoken that's taken root as a wound in people's spirits. And I pray in this moment in your presence, you would replace it with truth. I pray you'd replace it with your words. I pray you'd replace it with your voice. And I pray in this moment, would you speak to somebody and remind them their calling. Remind them who they are in you. Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.